0: For those of you who uh, take an interest in the Jewish calendar, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jewish harvest festival, was a month ago yesterday. Um, so, um, the next festival was Hanukkah, um, the festival of light. And in the passage that Margaret read, we had Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, which repeated something that he'd said in chapter 8 of John. So, this is the story about light entering one man's dark world, but with obvious spiritual application to anyone who doesn't know Jesus. But there's something about this. Um, and it reminded me of Roy Kinnersley, a chap who I used to know many years ago. He had a special interest in engine design, uh, petrol engine design. And he worked for a plant hire company years and years back. And the biggest problem with, was with what are called two-stroke engines, where you have to mix... Oil with the petrol so that it lubricates the engine. And what would happen is that the workman would put the petrol in and forget the oil, and the engine would seize up. And so they had to keep changing the engines. And so Richard set to, and he made an engine that needed no oil at all, um, no oil anywhere—the um, no oil engine. So he thought this is a good idea, and off he went to the Ministry of whatever it was in those days and asked them to help him with money so that he could turn it into a commercial engine. And uh, they wouldn't believe him. First of all, he wasn't a recognised engine designer. So how could he know something that the experts didn't? But secondly, the ministry knew that it's impossible to make a two-stroke engine that needs no oil. So when the man from the ministry visited Richard in his little workshop in the New Forest, Richard said, There's the engine, and he reached over and he said, I'll just start it. And the man said, if you start it, I'll walk out. What he was saying was, I refuse to allow you to prove me wrong. He just would not listen. He wouldn't think about this. The last thing I knew, the engine was still working fine. Um, But you see, the men from the ministry were like the Pharisees in this evening's passage. They only wanted to hear from the experts. Also, they were good on theory and bad on hearing other people's views. They didn't want their theories challenged. Some Christians call themselves evangelical because they've got a certain set of beliefs, but that's not a word I like too much. Um, To me, we've got to be not so much evangelical, is evangelistic. Um, but you see, these evangelicals sometimes they spend most of their time discussing theology, and they don 't get round to the practical bit of telling non-Christians about the Lord Jesus Christ jesus 's disciples, if, did you notice, they were in exactly the same mold? He was a blind man he 'd never seen anything his entire life cue compassion, <coughs> theological discussion, just what the man needed. Was it his parents who sinned before he was born, or did he sin whilst he was still in his parents' womb, his mother's womb? They were following the Jewish idea, sin always leads to suffering. But they got the story of Job to prove that that wasn't true. And Jesus had to redirect the attention of the disciples to um, the man's need. The thing that really ought to have demanded their attention, he needed his sight. Louise um, is profoundly deaf. Because Jenny had German measles during her pregnancy. And at church camp one year, Jenny was really angry with God. And she asked me, this is a long time ago, when I was very young, so please excuse me this. She said, why did God make germs like rubella that cause so much harm? And so, bright, intelligent young man said, well... God didn't make the germs and he began to explain that they were the result of sin and so on. Um, and at this point, a wiser, an older Christian, shut this 20-something idiot up and began to help Jenny to see her problems in a different light. She didn't need to have it explained that rubella wasn't, was not made by God. She needed to have practical help. As Jenny um, sorted out her ideas, she and John were able to focus on raising Louise. She's now a lovely um, Christian girl. But trying to explain the issue by talking about original sin was never going to help Jenny. Uh, Jenny. Um, and That's what the disciples wanted Jesus to do, but he wouldn't do it. Instead, he de- demonstrated um, what we should do. Did you notice the words? We often reword um, what Jesus said at this point we think, Jesus said, I must do the work of him who sent me. Jesus said, we must do the work of him who sent me. He was talking to the disciples. He was talking to us. We must do the work of him who sent me. So let's have a little look at the healing. Some aspects of what Jesus did copied the medical practice of the day. He didn't just Heal the man by the word of God. He did something physical. The man had to do something himself. Go and wash in a particular place, a particular pool, up to um, the west of Jerusalem. Yes, the west of Jerusalem. What would have happened if the man had decided to go somewhere else to wash, or if he'd said, "I can't be bothered," or if he'd said, "Uncomfortable as I am." And even today, people can be presented with the opportunity of putting their faith in Jesus Christ, and they say, I'd rather do something else. Can't be bothered. I'm okay. But as with the man, the only thing that happens, the only way it happens is by obedience. That is faith. But as Margaret was reading that to us, did we appreciate the, the absolutely huge thing that the miracle was? Most of us have had children. And did our children recognise the difference between a dog and a cat when they were born? It takes time to learn how to see things. This man, he could see and he knew what was happening. It wasn't just a miracle of being given his sight. His brain was completely rewired so that he could understand what his eyes were seeing. Which is... A much bigger miracle than just getting your sight. Well, I think it is. Um, But he really did have um, a big thing. But then we move on to the questioning. Yesterday, um, I saw someone walking along the street with their white stick. Tap, tap, tap. If I had seen someone walking along with a white stick one day, and the next day I saw them walking along confidently, no white stick, looking where they're going, and I might think, is this the same person? And that's exactly what happened then. Um, The man's neighbours said, is this the man? They eventually um, accepted the reality that he was seeing, but they wanted to get to the bottom of it. They wanted to get to this bottom of this theology of sin and blindness, so they went to the experts, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees immediately gave thanks that God had given sight to someone who was blind. Not. No. Um, They weren't even bothered about the result of the healing. They concentrated on the way that it was done and when. It was the Sabbath. Healing was only allowed, and then only just allowed, in life-threatening situations. Secondly, Jesus had mixed up some mud. Now that was classed as kneading dough. So that was banned on Sunday. Um, Thirdly, he'd anointed the man's eyes. That was work too. So he'd done so much that was wrong, um, it couldn't be right. And yet the man had his sight. The problem with the Pharisees was they lived so much in the past. They took the Bible very seriously. They tried to understand it. But they resisted new ideas. They fought for historical religion and they handed out judgment for with no regard for the people. They were right, no argument. If you like, they were fundamentalists of first century Judaism. But you see, some of the Pharisees were impressed by the man's simple testimony. Others see nothing of the good result, only the sin of working on the Sabbath. So there's a disagreement, if you like, between the spiritual and the legalistic groups. What was really happening was that uh, a living experience of the power of Jesus was meeting a dead religious conservatism. Do you know those extra lines to onward Christian soldiers? Like a mighty tortoise moves the Church of God. Brothers we are treading where we've always trod and that was what the Pharisees were like and that's what some people can be like. It was way back in 1973 um, that an American um, Baptist called Ralph Naber wrote that the seven last words of the church. We never did it that way before. And he also contrasted that with the seven first words of the church. I can do all things through Christ. This is what the man would have said at the end of the story. But you see, the one thing that the Pharisees hadn't expected was that uh, their questioning of the man made him think. Um, He'd never seen Jesus, he doesn't know him, but he knew one thing, the miracle had worked. So um, the Pharisees challenged him more. And so he worked it out a bit more. And that's how theology has developed over the centuries. Um, Someone's got the wrong idea, so people work out what the Bible really said. I had a really nice time last evening, um, I met my theology teacher from college, John. He, he really was a smashing bloke. Um, and we got chatting and remembered some of the old times when I was in his lectures. But that was the result of the questioning. The man began to think, the parents. My Latin teacher used to call people like the parents mugwumps. Anybody heard of Mugwumps. They're people who sit on their fence with their mug on one side and their wump on the other. They sat on the fence. They were frightened. They were afraid of the social consequences of acknowledging Jesus in public. So they trimmed the sails of their conviction to the passing breeze. And so their son was hauled in for a second inquisition. More questions it develops his theology still further. Say this man Jesus is a sinner, they said. And the dialogue that follows, man's refusal to say Jesus is a sinner, two main features. First is the obviously increasing faith of the man to the extent that he challenges the religious leaders on their religious knowledge. And then we come to the fundamental issue. What is the rock bottom of your beliefs? And we realize that the Pharisees were devoted not so much to God as to God's law written down by Moses. That was their authority, They'd read the Ten Commandments, but they'd ignored the basis of them. God's grace as he brought his people out of Egypt. And so that meant they had to live by their merit, not God's grace. And you see, they'd got their ideas about the Messiah, these Pharisees. The Messiah was going to be a super Pharisee. He was going to be even more meticulous in keeping the law than they were. Yes, he was going to be sinless, but he was going to do it by being absolutely meticulous about the law. Jesus didn't fit into their mould, so he was wrong. He wasn't the Messiah. So the man's a believer, um, but what about the Pharisees? I preached on light in July, and uh, I mentioned the science of light. One of the things that we don't always associate with um, light is darkness. Light casts shadows behind the things that it lights up. The Pharisees were being lit up by what Jesus was doing, but there was darkness behind them. And if you've been in the light and then move into the shadow, the darkness seems even more intense. That's what happened to the Pharisees. The, they saw Jesus, the light of the world, but they rejected him and they turned into the darkness of their own shadow. In Jesus' words, their guilt remains, which is a pretty terrible thing, um, terrible condition to be in. So, concluding. In this miracle, Jesus tells us about faith. And it's steps to faith. Now, this isn't the, 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 um, Burlington steps. This is Jesus' steps to faith in this story. Because before we meet Christ, we're ignorant of, we're blind to our sinfulness. This isn't what I thought it was. Um, we're blind from birth. But the man shows the path of salvation, growing in the understanding. People still become Christians over a period of time rather than sudden. But how do you get there? The man they call Jesus. So he recognised there was somebody called jesus a prophet one who proclaims god he opened my eyes actions not just words he is from god a sent one the messiah was the sent one jesus said go to the pool called sent he then said i believe and then i worship actually that last one is quite important because most um, church-based evangelists these days don't think that a person has truly come to faith until they've been worshipping regularly for at least six months. I met Chris's wife yesterday at this do we were at. Um, they'd been married for some time. Uh, Margaret um, is a Christian. Chris wasn't. And uh, this is going back to the days of evangelism explosion. And uh, Bill, um, Bill and a group went round to see Chris went through the presentation and Chris repeated the words of the prayer of commitment but the next morning when he got up he said to Margaret I didn't mean those words but Bill is such a nice man and he'd gone to such a lot of trouble I didn't want him to feel bad so that was not Um, accepting the word. The good news is that uh, Chris's last words to the current leader of the congregation where he was were, I love Jesus, he did die in faith. But coming to faith, that was the way, the steps to faith. But then, did the man cheer his family up? I think probably he was quite uh, upsetting to them may upset our families, even our lives. It can I, highlight the wrong ideas and attitudes that others have. But our testimony should be simple. This one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. So, placing our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, for the gift of eternal life, it's the single most important thing we can do in this life. And having that, done that, we need to remember To celebrate, to give thanks, to be family, to meet with our Lord in worship, to meet around his table.